Welcome back to another edition of On The Board Sports. I am your host, Will Cherucci, a.k.a. Will C., coming to you from Gotham Podcast Studios in Manhattan, New York, and I'm joined by the one and only Spencer controlling the ones and twos behind, well, it's a room within a room, the whisper room here at Gotham, the middle room of all the rooms. But, hey, what more can you want? It's a room we're recording, and we're here talking sports with you. And I'm also joined by my wonderful co-host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Sean T. Sean, how are you? Well, I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you and everyone at Gotham Hope. The New Year, the New Year has gotten off to a good start. But, well, you know who's also off to a great start this 2020, Will? Is it Camel on Hump Day? It is a Camel on Hump Day, Will. That's right. You've got it, Will. Yay. How are you doing, sir? Got something right for once. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Can't complain. <laughs> you know how it goes. Just grinding on the podcast and... You know, making trying to make things work, but we're here right now talking sports, and we got to lead off with your Tennessee Titans right now because they are the talk of really the whole sports landscape right now. As they defeated the New England Patriots by a score of twenty to thirteen on Wild Card Saturday, and let me tell you something, bro, it was absolutely awesome to see them beat the New England Patriots. And I got to tell you, when Stephen Nasomowitz from the S and D podcast texted me. On, I believe it was Friday or Saturday night, one, one of those two dates. And he asked me to give him picks and everything like that for uh, for the wild card weekend. I put down the, the Tennessee Titans beating the New England Patriots. Everybody else picked the, the New England Patriots beating the Tennessee Titans up there. But there's just something. There was something about Saturday, Sean. And I know you got a lot to talk about. But there was just something about Tom Brady that was off. Over these past couple of weeks, you know, whether it be the age catching up to him, father time, all that stuff, you know, the diets, maybe the diet isn't working out that well. Uh, you know, maybe it's the receivers. Who knows what's going on up there in New England? Final year of his contract, all that stuff. But, Sean, let's not talk about New England because I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans and how they beat the Patriots on Saturday. So the floor is all yours, Sean. How did the Tennessee Titans beat the New England Patriots? Well, pretty easy. I'll make this one quick. Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, when he came out of uh, school, well, the concern with him was he's too big to be a back. He's like 6'2", six, 6'3", two, six, like 250. He's a man-child. Well, that's a defensive end in the National uh, Football League, Will. And the fact that he's playing a running back, but... What people don't realize or they forget about Henry Will is that he's that big, but he runs like a four or five. Yeah. When he gets ahead of steam, he's gone. Like he like we've seen him run away from corners that run four two, four three, from safeties that run four two, four three. So and I give the offensive line credit well because the Patriots knew we we were gonna gonna run. Just how the Ravens know this coming Saturday night they were going to run. Well, when another team knows what you're going to do and they cannot stop it, that is execution at its finest. And I think Ryan uh, Tannehill only passed for like 82 yards, something like that, because Derrick Henry did everything else well. So, I mean, and the defense played well. Well, I think we won the game, not even, you know, at the end with the touchdown and, and the pick six. Well, I think we won the game second quarter. I'm not sure if you... Remember, the Patriots had first and goal at the three, and we stopped them three times, and we held them to three. And I felt that was huge because they had the momentum. They stopped us on the defensive side. They drove the whole field, and I feel that was huge, stopping them from seven and only allowing them to get three. So, and the defense, you know, it it hasn't been the greatest. You know, we've had our ups and downs this year, but. You know, we held Tom Brady to 14 points at, at home. I mean, that's very, very uh, hard to do. So the defense had their day well. So I'm excited. I was so happy. I was biting my nails. I was jumping up and down. I was a nervous wreck roll, but we got the job done. And uh, very optimistic to see what happens Saturday against Baltimore. Because, well, it's another situation where nobody's picking us to win. And that's just fine with me. Hopefully we can shock the world this Saturday as we did last week. Ryan Tannehill on Saturday had eight passes completed for 15 attempts, and 
He had 72 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Meanwhile, if you look at what Derrick Henry did, he had 34 attempts rushing with 182 yards. So right then and there, Sean, you were 100% right. He was the offense, the end-all, be-all. And a fun stat here, Derrick Henry had 34 carries, the most by a player in the playoffs since Sean Alexander in the 2005 NFC Championship game. That actually tied it with 34. Did you know that only Peyton Manning has won more games head-to-head versus Tom Brady than Ryan Tannehill with five? So that just goes to show you there. And a trend continues here. At least one number six seed has won in the wild card round in six of the last seven seasons. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy to say the very least right there. And the Patriots are now 0-5 when allowing 20-plus points in a game this season. 12-0 when, when allowing fewer than 20 uh, points. And another fun fact for you, the Tennessee Titans are the first team to win a playoff game with the regular season rushing leader since the 2007 Chargers defeated the Indianapolis Colts with LaDain Lee and Tomlinson. Some more stats. Derrick Henry has, surpri- has surpassed Ray Rice, 159, in the 2009 wildcard game for the most rushing yards versus the Patriots in a single playoff game in the Belichick era. That's since 2000. More Derrick Henry stats. Derrick Henry has become the second player in franchise history with multiple career 100-yard rushing games uh, in the postseason. Comes down to uh, Eddie George. And Henry has become the first regular season rushing champion with 100-plus rushing yards in a playoff game since Terrell Davis did it in 1998. So realistically right there, uh, it's crazy what, what the Tennessee Titans did on Saturday, just basically going out there and being world beaters. And Sean, you hit it right on the head. They couldn't stop the run for, for, for nothing, you know? And yeah. the one, the one play that really kind of surprised me in a sense was in the fourth quarter with them driving down the field, I think they were on like their own 30-yard line, the New England Patriots were, and Julian Edelman had a costly drop in the fourth quarter. That, to me, was just absolutely crazy. That that told me that, like, you know what? Tennessee can win this game, and they did, you know, on some on some crazy, some crazy luck that usually doesn't go their way because Julian Edelman is one of the more uh, shorthand receivers in, in the National Football League. We all know that. But to see that is crazy. Uh, yeah, that was that was definitely a big play. And what the Titans did well was they pretty much said, "Listen, we're going to stack the box to stop James White and Sony Michelle." And they put their best corner, who was Logan Ryan, on Julian Edelman, and they dared Tom Brady to beat them any other way, and he couldn't do it. And well, during the season, because you know. When you've had a run of an excellence that the Patriots have had, you always feel like they're going to get it right, that they're going to figure it out. Like That's why people every year in their Super Bowl picks have the Patriots, because you always feel no matter what they're going to figure it out. And this season, well, I don't think we as a whole, as foot, football fans, we underestimated the loss of Antonio Brown and the loss of Josh Gordon. Those were two guys the Patriots were depending on when they, at the time that they got, got them. And they released, you know, Josh Gordon. I, I think they knew because the suspension was on its way. And obviously we all know what happened with Antonio Brown. Now you're looking at Julian and Edelman being the number one. Julian Edelman is, will never be, and has never been, a number one option. So now, when if you key on on him, you're not afraid of Nikhil Harry and Philip Dorsett and all these others. You could just key in on one guy and you know, and then just kind of pin your ears back when they pass and you know, stack the box when they run. So I don't. So I think everybody underestimated the loss of Antonio Brown and of Josh uh, Gordon because that in offense was not good the whole year. So. We'll see what happens, what they do. But I feel the Titans did the, uh, made the right move. The game plan was good. And hopefully we carry that over 
on Saturday night. You know, you talk about the receivers with New England. I think for for the short term, it made sense to get rid of Antonio Brown and not have to deal with the shenanigans that that Antonio Brown brought to the table. And then with what you said with Josh Gordon, it was worth it in the sense where, you know, you knew the suspension was coming. He basically, it's either with him, you know, he comes back and there's always that setback with him, no matter how you look at it. But in the long term, I think they figure it out with Nikhil Harry. You know, he could be one of those big body type of guys that could go out there and be physical. But again, for them, they have to figure out what's going on with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Okay, they have to. And what's going on with the, with uh, their offensive coordinator and Josh McDaniels? Is he going to Cleveland now? You know, rumor has it that his name is associated with the Browns. Uh, it makes sense. It makes too much sense, actually, for for uh, for the Browns and him. But we'll see what happens there. The uh, you talk about the Titans moving on to play Baltimore. Sean, what are your takes in which the Titans can pull off this upset? Well, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But you look at what the Ravens have done, Well, Obviously, they led the league in rushing. They broke, I know, um, records left and right. Because they ran the ball so effective, the Ravens controlled the time of possession. possession. Well, we're going to have to do that on Saturday. Derrick Henry may get 34 carries again. I do think we do need, we do need to work Deion Lewis into the mix. I do think we need to establish the pass a little bit more. But I believe the less Lamar Jackson has the ball, the better it is for us. We have to beat them at the time of uh, possession game. And I'll give you two more quick ones, Well, Defensively, we have to tackle. When we get our hands on Lamar Jackson, well, he has to go down. He cannot break a tackle, juke, spin, stiff arm, any of that. When we get our hands on Mark Ingram and Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst and uh, Willie Sneed, so on and so forth, when we get our hands on these guys, the first time, they have to go down the first time because all these yards after catches and, you know, um, the yards after first uh, contact, we can't – those two um, uh, figures can't be huge. Like, they, they, they have to be really small. So that's for the defensive side. On the offensive side, besides the time of uh, possession, we, well, we're going to have to score. Because I feel we can drive on this Ravens defense. But we have to put the ball in – the end zone because that offense is so great on the other side that they could strike for a touchdown in like a play or two. So I feel like when we drive, we can't settle for three, three, three. We can't have a situation where our first three drives, we get three, a few goals, their first three drives, they get three uh, touchdowns. And now it's 21 and nine. We're not going to win uh, uh, that way. So on offense time of possession, and make sure we're getting sevens, not threes. And on the defensive side, tackle, tackle, tackle when we get our hands on them the first time. Well, if we do those three things, it's still not guaranteed we're going to win, but we're going to have a hell of a shot. Well, the rushing attack for Tennessee has been absolutely phenomenal with Derrick Henry, like you said. He's had 337 rushing attempts, including the playoffs. Uh, he's had 311 yards before contact and yards after contact. Uh, he's had four, 1,410 yards. That includes the playoffs, and that's the most in the NFL with a minimum 100 rushes. And then you also look at Lamar Jackson, what he could do with his legs. He's had 176 rushing attempts. Yards before contact have been 756 yards. And yards after contact, 568. But it's a different position out there when you're playing quarterback as opposed to uh, being the running back. And also, too, with their uh, rushing yards, the, the Ravens go out and they have they have the best rushing attack in all the league with Mark Ingram and with, uh, with uh, uh, I just said his name, Lamar Jackson. Wow. Mm. A- anyway, <laughs> you know, you look at it and you just say to yourself, okay, 
what's going on here? Their defense, though, is actually pretty good against the run. It's stout. They've only given up 93.4 yards a game, Baltimore has, so against their opponents. We'll see what happens here. Uh, I think, is it going to be a close game in Baltimore? It probably will, but I think the the overall effect of it is, and even their third down conversion rates too, it's not, it hasn't been that good. So for, for Tennessee, it's been like 37% as opposed to Baltimore's 47. Still good to a degree, but Baltimore can, can do that because of the fact that Lamar Jackson has, has the legs to make plays. So we'll see what happens come Saturday night. That game is going to be at 815 in Baltimore. So I expect it to be cold. It's going to be loud down over there. And who knows, can there be an upset of Bruin? Maybe, but I, I don't see it. Sean, do you see uh, your team winning at all? Well, as much as I want to say yes, I don't think so, only because, to tell you the honest truth, well, I don't think the, the Ravens are going to score a lot of points. I honestly don't. And, well, this has a chance to be the quickest game in the history of the NFL. Both teams want one to run the ball. This game is going to be over pretty fast, but I think the Ravens' defense with a bye week, I don't think they're afraid of Ryan Tannehill. So I think the game plan that we had against Tom Brady, well, I think the Ravens are going to do that to us. They're they're going to put eight in the box, and Derrick Henry's not going to have any room to run, and they're going to dare Ryan Tannehill to beat them with his arm. Now, do we have the weapons to do it? Sure. We have um, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis and uh, General Smith and Deion Lewis, who you could bring up the backfield or in the slot. But I just think that the Ravens' defense, which is which didn't get its credit during the regular season because the offense was so great, I think they're going to come to play a Sunday well. So I think this, this is going to be one of those ugly games where the final score is like 21-10 or like – 24-13, but unfortunately, I do think the um, the Ravens uh, get the uh, uh, get the win. Yeah, I think the Ravens are going to get the the win too. I think it's going to be a little bit. It's going to be close, but not not that close to like you said, maybe like a twenty four ten game. I see, but who knows? We'll see what happens there. Uh, the other there there were crazy games though in the wild card weekend, Sean, that basically shaped up the rest of the of the playoffs. Going to Saturday, the earlier game, you had the Texans. They were down and out in the first half. They wound up coming back in overtime and winning 22-19 to against the Buffalo Bills. And then on Sunday, you had the Vikings and the Saints. That was another nail-biter in a sense where you had the Saints and the Vikings. They were close throughout the whole game. And Minnesota goes out and they, they score on their on their possession when, when it. And then the Seahawks and the Eagles... Carson Wentz goes out, but Russell Wilson just keeps on finding ways to win games with his legs and his arm. DK Metcalf had an unbelievable uh, game with 160 receiving yards, so he's right there. For the Vikings on Sunday, it was their first playoff overtime win in franchise history, and now that sets up a great divisional round matchup for uh, divisional round Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday... At 435, you have the Vikings going up against the 49ers in San Francisco. I think that game is going to be really, really close, uh, much to the chagrin of many 49er fans out there around the, the league. And then you have the Texans and the Chiefs going at it on Sunday at 305 on CBS. Again, another close game, but the Kansas City Chiefs with much need of rest and their improved secondary. I could definitely see the Chiefs getting the win. And then the uh, Seahawks and the Packers. I think the Packers win this one outright. I, I really do. I think it's gonna that game's gonna be not. It's not gonna be. It's gonna be close, but I don't think it's gonna be close as the final score would dictate and usually tell you at the uh, at the end of the game. But Sean, what's your take on what happened over on Wild Card Weekend and what and what sets up to be a very good and very interesting divisional round? Yeah, that Bills Texans game was one that was wild, but you know, the Bills are only going to go as far as Josh Allen uh, takes them. Now they have an elite defense. That defense is very good. However, 
they're going to have to continue to support Josh Allen in the offseason. They gave him John Brown, Cole Beasley. They drafted Devin Single, Terry, and that worked. But they're going to need some more guys because, well, Buffalo is one of those places where you could get, you know, a B free agent, a C free agent without an issue. But to get an A plus, an A, A plus level free agent to come to Buffalo, New York, it's not going to be that easy when you have, you know, L.A. and Miami and Houston and so on and so forth. So, you know, and well, they kind of did what I hope the Titans don't do. They drove the field several times against the Texans with ease, but they settled for field goals, field goals, field goals. And I'm watching that game and I'm just like, I don't like the way this is going out because you knew Houston was going to figure it out. You knew Houston was going to figure it out and boom, the, um, the, um, the, the Watson run, and then he got the Hopkins, and so on and so forth. So I'm not surprised the Bills lost. And, um, you know, that Houston versus the Chiefs game, uh, they met early in the regular uh, season. I forgot who uh, won that game, but um, that's going to be a hell of a game. You know, two young studs who were taken in the same uh, draft. And, um, you know, uh, Watson was taken first, and then uh, Mahomes uh, right after him. So it's going to be a very interesting game. And uh, we'll – Great plays make great plays. J.J. Watt with that sack was huge. And that's why you pay him the big bucks because he's such a great um, a player. And then we'll, uh, the, um, and then uh, the uh, the Sunday games, you know, you look at that first game, that Vikings-Saints game. Well, you know, I'm mad because I only have one uh, Super Bowl of predicted team left, you know. Uh, I have the Saints and the Chiefs and well, I think we can officially say the Saints are cursed because that was clearly offensive pass into interference, and they don't get a call again. The NFL made a rule, well, just for them, and they didn't get the call. That was made just for them. It's crazy. But uh, the Vikings deserved it. They played hard. They they played very, very uh, um, uh, physical, and they got the job done. And then in the game after that, you kind of knew that Philadelphia was undermatched, all those guys that were hurt and on IR. Several guys got hurt during the game, including Carson Wentz. I don't think they would have won even if Carson Wentz didn't get hurt, but, you know, you, you, you kind of know uh, Seattle was going to go in there and win that game, so I'm not surprised there. Well, to answer your question about this week's games, we already spoke about the Titans and the uh, um, uh, Ravens. Because the Chiefs have a better defense this season, I think that's enough to get a job done against uh, Houston. And then the two NFC games, I think these are going to be the two best games that we um, that we uh, have. Well, uh, the San Fran-Minnesota game, well, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to pick the Vikings to win that game. San Francisco has players that's been there before, like Richard Sherman and uh, Joe uh, Staley, so on and so forth. But Jimmy Garoppolo, first playoff game, his nerves are going to be going crazy. He's been in playoff games on the Patriots, on the bench, but actually starting and playing is a whole different thing. And I think Kirk Cousins is, is out to prove something. Like, you saw how those guys rallied behind him. Yeah. And, well, what a throw that was in overtime to Adam Thielen. Uh, um, uh, I mean, that was right in the bowl for him, so I think the Vikings win again this week. That's my upset uh, special. And then the last game, Seattle at Green Bay. Well, I think the Packers are the worst 13-3 and team that I've ever seen. Nothing about that team says 13-3, and but sometimes you don't need to have that. Because a 13-3 and team means they find a way to get the job done. And I expect them to do the same thing this uh, weekend. Well, I think the Packers defeat the Seahawks at home, so... I got the Ravens, Chiefs moving on in the in AFC. I got Minnesota and Green Bay in the NFC. All right. You know, that's pretty crazy right there, man. You know, you have your upset being the Vikings. I'm still going to have to stick with my pick with the 49ers here. Their defense is absolutely stout. They got to see what's going on with, uh, with what's going on with Kirk Cousins. Is the pumpkin going to... You know, is the Cinderella story going to end? Who knows what's going to happen? But there's a lot that remains to be seen. And then, like I said, Kansas City and 
and uh, and Houston. That's going to be a really good game as well. I mean, you have two very young young quarterbacks that are actually pretty good, and Deshaun Watson and and uh, Patrick Mahomes going out there and just playing hard, and they've been playing great. And like I said, the Chiefs' secondary is much better than it was two years ago. Even last year when they made it all the way to the AFC Championship game, they got to go out there and just just play hard. But it's tough playing at Arrowhead, as we all know and seen on TV and through the media and everything like that. And then you got, like you said, you know the uh, the late Sunday game with the Seahawks and and the Green Bay Packers. I think Seattle's time is up. I think that's it. You know. I know people don't want to doubt Russell Wilson at all or anything like that, but I think the Green Bay Packers, they find a way to stop Russell Wilson and stop DK Metcalf, and they go out there and they win. And, you know, it's going to set up for – listen, Saturday and Sunday are going to be very interesting to say the very least. Even next week's going to be very, very interesting as well. Um, Yeah, I, that's it, man. That's it on the playoffs for now. Uh, Sean, I know you want to talk about coaches. You know, lot lots of coaching uh, names getting hired. Matt Rule going over to the uh, Carolina Panthers for sixty million dollars for seven years. Uh, Judge Joe Judge going over to the New York Giants. He was the former uh, New England Patriots special teams coach, and uh, Ron Rivera going over as the new head coach for the uh, Washington Redskins. That's three coaches right there, man. Uh, what's your what's your take on the whole coaching carousel that that has happened so far in the NFL? McCarthy to the Cowboys, great move. Um, the Cowboys are ready to win now. Going the college route, I don't think would have been the smart move. Um, so McCarthy to the Cowboys makes perfect sense. Matt Rule to the Panthers. I mean, I know Giants fans were the number Giants. But the Giants didn't want to match sixty million bucks, and honestly, I would not give Matt Rule sixty million bucks. But the owner of the Panthers came from Pittsburgh, and as we know, well, Pittsburgh hates change. They only have three head coaches in their franchise history. That's crazy. So I'm sure he wants to instill that in Kara. Uh, uh, I know that's why Matt Rule got seven years to me in the first place. But I like the move because. It's going to be very interesting to see what he does with Christian McCaffrey. If he keeps Cam Newton, if he drafts a quarterback, we'll see what happens there. Um, the Ron Rivera to Washington, I know that happened uh, last week. I love that move because I think, well, the Redskins need someone to change the culture. Like, they've just been known for mediocrity and this thing's going wrong. I think Ron Rivera's a perfect guy for that job. And then, obviously, we know. Cleveland is still looking for a coach. Is it Josh McDaniels? Is it Kevin Stefanski? Who uh, who knows? But honestly, well, with the Browns, who cares? Because they change coaches like every like every, every year. That brings me to the Giants, well, and I know we discussed through text before the show. Stephen A. Smith had his Rooney Rule rant, and I'm going to echo his statements from a from a standpoint of this. Well, what I'm about to say. Is nothing against Joe Judge. We don't know Joe Judge. We've never heard of Joe a Judge. Clearly, the Giants think he's the right guy for the job. He comes from the Patriot tree, even though those coaches haven't, haven't you know, gone on to be good. Well, Romeo Cornell was a bust. Charlie Weiss was a bust. Eric Mangini, minus one year, a bust. Josh McDaniels uh, was a bust, so bad of a bust that he came back. So, the Benetton coaching tree isn't that great. But to make a long story short, well, I don't want to talk for too long. The Rooney Rule, when it was made, and for people that don't know what the Rooney Rule is, a team has to interview a minority candidate for any position from coach going up. So coach, uh, GM, football operations, owner, CEO, blah, blah, blah. You have to interview a minority. A candidate black, I mean, uh, black, Spanish, Asian, blah, blah, blah. Well, the creation of the rule years ago was good at the time. But I think it's been watered down because, well, you are seeing NFL teams hiring, um, um, I'm sorry, well, interviewing 
African-American assistants or former head coaches only to satisfy the Rooney Rule. They are not given, giving these African-American, Spanish, Asian, whoever, they are not giving them serious consideration. Well, there is no way in hell that Giants interview Eric Bieniemy, OC, African-American for the Chiefs, coming from Andy Reid's coaching tree, which is a damn good coaching tree. There's no way you interview him. You interview Joe Judge, and you go with Joe Judge. If you're going by who's qualified for the job, absolutely not. And that's, and I think people took, took Stephen A. stance as a racist stance. I don't think it is, even though, well, I'm not going to lie. I don't think the Giants are racist. They did hire um, A.J. Um, Reese. But I think the Giants are anti-black. There's a difference between being anti-something and, um, and, and being a, a racist. Back to my point, though. If you're going on who's qualified for the job, Eric Bieniemy, Ron Rivera, two minority candidates are way more suited for the job than Joe Judge. And the Rooney Road is being abused more than it's being made good of because Chris, um, Chris um, Richardwell, the Dallas Cowboys passing coordinator, African-American man, interviewed for the Giants head coaching job. Well, we know for a fact the Giants are not hiring Chris Rashard as their coach. But because you got to fulfill the rule, you interview him in any way. And African-American, Spanish, and Asian, these coaches to be well, they're not going to turn down the interview even if they feel like they're not going to get the job because you never know if another opportunity to interview is going to come. That's why Mike Tomlin is the exception, not the norm. Tony Dungy, Lovey Smith, they are the exception, not the norm. So I, so I want to be very careful that this is not a racist, racism thing. This is a purely who's qualified to do the job thing where you see an African, American, Spanish, Asian, whoever, more qualified than white candidates. But these white candidates are getting the job. That's the issue that we have. And that's why the Rooney Rule is now bad, but it was intended to be good. Well, I hope I made myself clear. You made yourself clear. You made yourself clear, Sean. But the thing is, and what it comes down to, I feel, is if, you know, you have Brian Flores down in Miami. He's black. He's going out there with with a horrible team, and he wound up making do with with what's going on. Even though they finished under five hundred, he's making do. He's probably the right guy for that for that position. Who knows? You know. But it's all about going out there and making the right decision for a franchise. It doesn't matter. You know. You look at. You look at Mike Tomlin, you look at Tony Dungy, you look at all, all, all these other people that you mentioned before, and you know you talk about the Rooney Rule, it's about leading your franchise in the right direction. It doesn't matter about your skin color at all or anything like that, white, black, Asian, green, you know, yellow, whatever the case is. You know, it's all, at the end of the day, it's about winning games, and it's about going out there and making things and doing things right in that sense. Now, when you look at what what the Giants did and when they hired uh, Joe Judge, listen, Joe Judge is a special teams. Uh, he's a special teams coach. He follows the game plan just about as as good as anybody else, probably because he's following the clock. He's got he's following all three facets of the game, and he's right next to the head coach in a sense. You know, he came through with I believe it was Alabama. And, you know, he goes over to New England, gets hired by New England, and they've had a pretty good special teams uh, up there in, in New England. You know, ask anybody. I think with with Giants fans in general, just to get to the Giant fan here for a second, I think give this man his due. Give this man some time before we start ripping the move. Remember, many Giants fans were ripping on Danny Jones 
And, you know, nobody really wanted him here. People wanted the pass rusher first and, and all that. But they wound up going out there and they got their they got their quarterback of the future, it seems like, to to lead to lead them into the next couple of years. Make no mistake about that. I think that's the right move, going out there and, and getting the, the special teams guy, you know, guy that knows clock management very well and has all three facets of the game uh right then and there you know coaching coaching up all that stuff and when you had people whispering into other owners ears like hey you know I think you should give this guy a, a shot or a look then then it comes down to it but to get back to the Rooney rule for a second here you know it's it comes down what it comes down to is doing the job you know no excuses you know white black asian you know green alien whatever the case is you got to go out there and do your job that that's what it comes down to and and win games now well and you're 100% right that's a control for you're 100% right but if you're going to go about hiring the right guy to do the job, and well, you're right, black, white, green, purple, it does not matter what your skin color is. I agree with you a million percent on that. However, if you are picking the right guy to do the job, the right guy to do the job is more often than not, or all the time, the person more qualified. Well, you are in construction, I'm not. If somebody hires me over you, in terms of construction, something is wrong because I do not know a damn thing about construction well, and obviously you have way more expertise than me. So all I'm saying is that, and well, and that's why I'm being very careful to say this is not a racism thing or this is nothing against Joe Judgewell because, well, if Eric being me was white, I'd be saying the same thing. I'd be saying, I swear, well, I swear to God. I'll be saying the same thing. Right. It just happens that he's um not white. But well, Joe Judge is not more qualified than than Mike McCarthy, who's white. He's not more qualified than Matt Rule, who's white. He's not more qualified than Eric Bianami, who just happens to be black. Well let's so Judge so let, Judge let's from just, a let's just qualification a standpoint, Will. But let, and Will, here's the biggest thing. And here's the biggest thing. Joe Judge was a special teams coordinator for five years. Mm-hmm. If you were that great of a coach, how come you never got elevated to OC or DC on that staff or you weren't hired away from that staff? Well, to me, that's a very alarming thing. That is a very alarming thing the way we see assistant coaches leave and go left and right the fact that he was never elevated from his current job and he was never taken away to do something else well i'm not saying joe judge is not going to work out well i'm just saying in terms of being qualified to coach the giants well the giants who's been around since the 20s the giants he was not the most um, a qualified guy well not at all well let's look at let's look at the past the past year and a half with Pat Shermer under under their uh as their coach for the Giants, right? They've had opportunities to basically go out there and they 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 were close in, in some games. In the Jets game they were definitely close in the Jets game. But they, they were calling time Pat Shermer was calling timeouts with four minutes to go. And they could have definitely stopped them. Make no mistake about it. But again it comes back down to time management and how you manage games. Can Joe Judge be that guy? It remains to be seen. You're right about that. But when you're around, and I'm not trying to justify the coaching hire here or not. I'm just stating from what, I, from what I've read and from what I've understand, understood about uh, the game in general. It's all about clock management and how you go out there and, and manage time. And when you're out there doing things, whether it be, you know, being next to the head coach or, you know, being Bill Belichick's right-hand man, whatever the case is, you're going out there, you're controlling timeouts, all that stuff. I think, I think personally it's the right move. But then, then again, we don't know because 
he doesn't have the track record for it because of because of what you said with him not getting hired and all that stuff. But again, if he was, I mean, look look at it. Look at it from from 2013 on when McDaniel's came back here to New England. McDaniel's basically took up his spot if he were to move up in the ranks because remember he was a wide receivers coach at one point in time. You know, so you have McDaniel's over here, the the star offensive coordinator, blocking up, uh, you know, Joe Judge's time to shine. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? And the same thing with the defensive coordinator spot for for New England. Matt Patricia was there for years. You know, he got he moved out to Detroit two years ago, and they wound up hiring somebody within house. It's the same thing, just about you know, just. You got to let these things play out and just see what happens. Well, I'm not debating at all because this is one of those situations where neither one of us is wrong. What I'm saying is 100% right. What you're saying is 100% right. I just wanted to be very careful because I think, because what, because, well, I watched that whole. Um, a Stephen A. Swift thing, and I can see where people say he came off as it, it came off as a racism, black versus white thing. And to me, this is not what it is at all. My thing is, in terms of being qualified, I think there were more qualified guys than Joe Judge. I agree with you, Will. Let's give it some time because, and then, like you said, when Daniel Jones was picked, everybody hated it. And then not only that too, looked pretty good. And then not only that too, but with. With Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy, when he wanted to be with the Jets, he wanted to have some sort of role controlling the roster and everything like that. Hey, with Judge, let Judge focus in on on the on the roster on the field, making the plays, coaching the people, making the cuts. You know, let let the general manager do his job, and then you know have everybody rank and file at that point slide underneath you. That's what I think people are making a, a big deal over, you know, it is because of, of that. When Rivera goes over to, to Washington, D.C., he's got a billionaire owner that knows that he's going to throw out tons of money at players. Look at what happened with Albert Hainsworth. Look what happened with Josh Norman. It, you know, Rivera can do that. And Landon Collins. And, and Landon Collins, right, 100%. With Matt Rule going over to Carolina, he's got Christian McCaffrey. And he might have a young quarterback coming in the draft, you know, and and a pretty not a pretty good defense, but like maybe a middle of the pack defense that he could uh, round out just about, you know. And then with McCarthy going over to Dallas and him sleeping over at Jerry Jones's place, you know, see, this is the thing that I hate about social media and, you know, people in general making it about a, a, a racial thing. I'm not saying you in general, Sean, or about what Stephen A is saying. But in general, it's just sometimes the guy that might be best qualified may not be the best qualified. You know, you got to go out there and just do do these things. It is what it is in that regard. You know, what more can you say? That's very true. So we shall wait and wait and see. Uh, Cleveland is the only team without a coach. No shock there. I but, think Josh uh, McDaniels is going to be the coach for for them, but we'll we'll see what happens as time goes on. You know, but, yes, sir. You know, we'll definitely see what happens over there. Uh, you know, moving on now from football to we're going to go hockey here for a little bit. You know, we haven't really touched up on hockey in the past couple episodes, and we'll we'll talk about the Islanders right now. Islanders have been really been up and down since Christmas time. Just about, they've been on a losing streak. Then they, you know, they go in. They beat Minnesota last week, and at the end of the year, beat Washington after losing to Columbus and and so forth at at the end of the year at Nassau. And they come into the the new year. They lose to the Devils, but then they play up, and then they lose to Toronto, up in Toronto, three nothing, and then they go out on Monday and Tuesday night and get two big wins in in that uh at that time you know they're tied for second place right now with the game in hand uh over Pittsburgh and Washington is running away from the with the division right now at this point they keep on winning games 
But, uh, you know, Sean, it's been absolutely crazy what's going on out in the island. The Islanders still keep on putting up wins. Uh, and uh, unsung heroes like Tom Kurnock were coming through yesterday with a huge game-tying goal, his forechecking presence, and, you know, the Islanders' physical style of play has been coming through, you know, over the past couple of games. The problem is, you know, is just scoring goals, having puck luck. They're playing good. They're keeping up with these teams whenever they're losing. The Devils, the Devils may have the one of the worst records in the league, but they're playing with heart and they're playing with tenacity, something that we talked about on a previous episode uh, with regards to uh, certain football teams having heart. And I think it was basketball for that matter, excuse me, when we talked to Combo and Eric Fischetti back on the uh, Christmas Day games with the Clippers. But to talk about hockey, you know, sometimes the heart and the tenacity and the soul, people look at the overall goals and all that stuff and numbers. People look into that too much. When you look at a team that's playing on national television that has nothing to play for except for pride and maybe for another job next year, that all comes into account, you know, whether or not how we like to look at it. Yeah, well, you know, I was uh, I was I was uh, back and back and forth watching that between uh, the Nets and the Islanders uh, game. What a disaster the Nets are, man! What a disaster the Nets are right now. Winners of seven yeah. in a row, one point, and then loses seven in a row next. It's unbelievable. Yeah, man. Uh, if, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have enough time uh, at the end row. But um, you know, I was watching that game and I was like, okay, the Devils beat us. A week now, a week and a half ago. Okay, good. And well, all I could think about was we can't lose to this team twice. No, like we just can't. We just can't. We did. Uh, we just can't. And then I'm watching the game. And what I swear to you, it was three two. I'm like, all right. I think it was like I forgot at the time. And then the and then the next game got close, and then it went into overtime. So I focus on that. And then I get the Bleacher Report alert saying that the Islanders won 4-3. I said, how the hell? They were just down a 3-2. But, I mean, captain, my captain, Will Anders Lee coming up in the clutch in overtime. Will, I see that you were there. I see that you've been going to Toronto and places, man. Will, you have been uh, traveling, man, and continue to do that because you're a great uh, a person, man, and you deserve to see all these things, man. But, I mean... That was a great game, and like you said, you know, when we've been playing, when the Devils have been playing the best of the best, they've held their own. But these are games that we cannot afford to lose going forward, well, because Washington is doing what Washington um, does. They're off to that great start, so on and so forth. And, you know, I don't want to end up in a situation this season as in last season when, you know, we lose a division, but, we, but you know, we have to find a way to get to the first round, and then our match been the second round is not a favorable one. So, well, the game is going to start tomorrow. I know the All-Star break is coming up pretty soon. But it's now 2020. It's now the unofficial second half of the regular season. And we got to start beating these teams that we're supposed to beat because we don't want – because we want to make sure that if we don't win the division or we don't have a high seat at the end, it's not because we didn't beat the teams that we were – supposed to be like the Red Wings and the Ducks and the Devils and so on and so forth. So it was a good win last week. I mean, uh, last night, too close to home, you know, uh, 4-3. You you kind of like to see these games against the uh, lesser teams be, you know, 3-1 or 4-2. But you know what? A win is a win. It's two points. And we'll see how we do coming up this uh, weekend. Yeah, they play up against Boston at Barclays Center and. You know, not to throw the Nets under the bus again, but the New York Islanders are the best team at Barclays Center. You know, without a doubt. <laughs> ha- ha- hate to say that, even though they're only playing like a quarter of no, their games. Right. You know, they're playing a quarter of their games at Barclays. You know, it's it's crazy. I know injuries happen, everything like that. No Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving, but still, you know, it's just it's crazy how people just sleep on hockey. But you know. It is what it is. I I get it and I understand it. Uh, why it's slept on all the time, but you know, it, it's a great sport. But anyway, to look at the uh, to look at the Bruins game coming up. The Bruins right now, they really haven't been playing that well. Uh, 
They're 25-8-11. Yeah, they have the one of the second-best records in the league, but when you lose a game to New Jersey in uh, in overtime on New Year's and then, you know, you lose against the Islanders a couple weeks ago, all that stuff, like, they're, they're not the Bruins of old, I feel as if. But, again, it's still there. It's still right there for them, you know, to be, like, that that good of a team. You know, make no mistake about it. And then on top of that, you look at who else is in the division with with the uh, with the Islanders. You look at the Caps; they have sixty five points with a thirty nine and five record. The Islanders are twenty seven, twelve and three. The Pittsburgh Penguins right now are twenty six, twelve and five. But really, the goal differential here is just crazy because Carolina in the wild card. They have 52 points, but they have a goal differential of 22 with a record of 25-16-2. And, and then Philadelphia, their defense is not that good at all, even though their goal differential is just plus three. But they're right there uh, in the thick of things as well. And then tied also, too, is the Columbus Blue Jackets with them in points. But it's just, you know, it's just crazy what's going on in, in the East. And then... The Tampa Bay Lightning, they're winners of, I believe, nine in a row. Uh, you know, they're 25, 13, and four with 54 points in second place. And then the Toronto Maple Leafs are 24, 15, and five with 53 points in the Atlantic Division. And then you look at the Western Conference right now. The St. Louis Blues are 27, 10, and seven with 61 points. The Avalanche, we're on a kind of sort of somewhat a two game losing streak. They have a, a record of 25-15-4 and four with 54 points in the Central. And then the Dallas Stars with Ben Bishop leading the way over there, who had a phenomenal win on New Year's in their, uh, in their New Year's Classic against the National Predators, who won 4-2. They, they've been playing great. And then in the Pacific, after the Taylor Hall deal, the Arizona Coyotes are still tied in first place with the Vegas Golden Knights in points with uh, 54. And then Edmonton. Edmonton has been really kind of sort of somewhat slacking in a sense. I know they beat the Maple Leafs the other day, but they're right there too. They have 51 points and they're third in that division. And then in the wild card, you have the Calgary Flames with 51 points after their whole Bill Peters fiasco. And then the Winnipeg Jets, Horrible defense to a degree, but they've been finding their way in in that uh, wild card. They have 50 points, and the Vancouver Canucks are tied with them with 50. So, and to round out the, the rest of the league, you have Minnesota with 46 points, Nashville with 45 after firing Peter Laviolette. See what happens there down in Nashville with their coaching situation. The Blackhawks have 44 points, and then the California teams round out the rest of the West with the San Jose Sharks having 42 points. The Anaheim Ducks, Annie O'Donnell's team who came on our podcast. Shout out to you, Annie O'Donnell, and your Ducks. They have 39 points, and the LA Kings have 38. So we'll see what happens there down the stretch. But, Sean, what, what's your take so far in this hockey season? Yeah, well, you know, uh, Washington is Washington. Um, you know, um, I feel like the tri-state because of the offseason moves by – the Devils and the Rangers I was looking for, and then obviously the Admirals making the playoffs last year. I was hoping for a little more sizzling when the tri-state area teams play, but, you know, we, we haven't gotten that, you know, uh, the Rangers are ass, and uh, the Devils, obviously, we know, you know, they, they, they're not having the season that they wanted, and they traded uh, uh, Taylor Hall, and then the Admirals were doing our thing, but, I mean, well, uh, as a whole, you know, well, um, it's one of, of those things where, you know, Certain teams that you were expecting to do good aren't. Certain certain teams that you didn't expect to do good are. And then the certain teams that, you know, they're just steady and they remain the same. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the rest of the season goes. The All-Star break is coming up. Please just get Brock in the game. Vote, 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 vote. Everybody listening to the show, Barzi is in. Let's try and get Brock in the game as well. Well, but I mean, um, it's kind of like you said, well, you know, um, it has been the craziest of... Uh, seasons, but it hasn't been a bore at the same time. So we see what the second half holds, and I know we aren't at the trading deadline yet, but what I think this is going to be one of the more crazy ones, because I feel like several teams that are on the brink 
I think this will be a buy trading deadline instead of a sell. Um, obviously, uh, Taylor Hall was a big sell, but um, you know, um, so I don't think we're going to see a player of his uh, magnitude move. But I can see a buyer's market for the trading uh, deadline opposed to teams trying to sell, and hopefully, our denominators are part of that. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. Lou Amarillo has made a trade since uh, last off season for Matt Martin. Uh, Kiefer Bellows in the AHL has been scoring goals left and right. So everybody on Twitter and on, you know, everybody throughout the whole hockey universe has been talking about the Islanders and when are they going to get their goal scorers. So we'll see what happens there with that. Uh, Personally, I'd rather like to see uh, another vet, maybe an Andrew Ladd come up, see what happens there. Uh, Try and, you know, Michael Dow Cole, listen, everybody shits on Michael Dow Cole. I, I personally love the story, you know, in which he has... He's basically fought through. He's now in the NHL. The problem is now with him, he's not a – everybody keeps on talking about him being a top-five pick. He's not a – you know, you got to move on from the top-five pick potential stuff. That That's all over and done with. It's what he can do outside of that, checking, going out there, making the right pass, making the right play, you know, having a stick out on the ice to get that deflection goal somewhat – be a you know a grinder in a sense you know try and do that i know a lot of people out there basically putting down on him but you know to be quite honest with you i really do hope that he does uh find a way to become productive and on top of that too he's had two points in his last two games that he's played so he's been kind of sort of somewhat productive in these last two outings but uh make no mistake about it Sean the Islanders do need a goal scorer, but at what expense uh, do you get that goal scorer here? I don't think Lou is going to make a, a big move per se. I think the young kids here, I think he believes in the young kids that are coming up through the system. And he's not going to rush these kids to come up here and play like a key for Bellows. Or, even though he's been hot, he does deserve a chance to come up here and play because of his uh, his time. Make no mistake about it with him scoring all these goals and He's passed amount of games, but we'll we'll see what happens there. And you know, losing out on Cal Clutterbuck, hey, again, he's not a goal scorer. We know that, but him being out there on on that line with Sezikis and Martin really, really uh, helps out to a degree. And I like Leo Komarov with what he brings to the locker room and his overall presence being there, and him being a penalty killer. But he has to go out there and just, you know, just go out and and be that guy. You know, go out there and just be that guy that's going to set people up. He's not going to be a goal scorer. That's not what you signed him here for. Tom Kunakle, like I said earlier on, he's been playing absolutely out of his mind. Underrated signing and, you know, him coming back. He's been playing very well. Three goals in his last seven games especially that game-tying goal yesterday in New Jersey from the point. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to say the very least. And these guys, the top six, they have to figure it out because I know you're going to have your ups and your downs, your ups and your downs. But, you know, we'll we'll see what happens here. I think they're going to have their ups soon. And uh, these are the times where you're going to need your bottom six guys to go out there and produce. And they've been finding a way. So, They've been doing it. And then, on top of that, too, Semyon Varlamov, man. This guy's been playing on his head. Talk about Brock Nelson and Matthew Barzell. This guy's been playing on his head most of these games, and he's been keeping these Islanders close. Problem is, the puck luck isn't going their way in in that sense. Pucks are hitting off the post and crossbar. You know, pucks are dying out literally (coughs) right in front of, of the goal. Wide open, just need guys there to cash at home. But he's been absolutely been playing out of his mind good. You talk about a guy that deserves to be in the All-Star game, it's him. And if he doesn't make it, hey, better off for him not making it. So that way he could have rest. So we'll see what happens there with the Isles. Yeah, well, definitely. So we shall see. Well, uh, do, uh, do I have time for a little uh, uh, Nets rant, Will? Yeah, go ahead. You got a little bit of time with the Nets rant. I'll make it quick. I'm, I'll make it quick. Well, my rant isn't even with the team. You know, listen, they've lost seven, seven straight, yes. But, you know, obviously Kyrie's been hurt for, like, going on 
like uh, two months now, and you no, know, uh, Karras was hurt for just about the same amount of time. Spencer Dinwiddie, he's been playing a lot of minutes, and this is not what the intention was. I feel like he's feel like we're burning him out when the when you know the plan was for him to play second fiddle, well third fiddle to Kyrie and to Karras Levert. And so we don't have the depth or because the depth we have is very young. And we're signing guys on two-way contracts, uh, 10 days, so on and so forth. And you've got to play these guys because guys are hurt. And you've you got to see what these two-way and 10-day guys have. And you see that the chemistry isn't there. Now, Oklahoma City is actually a surprising team. Well, I think last night was like their 20th win or like their 21st win. So they really had a surprising game where people thought they were going to be one of the worst teams. But... With that being said, you know, we have to start winning some games. We we play the Heat uh, Friday, you know, and we all know the top of season the Heat are uh, having well. But very quickly on Kyrie, well, well and I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe we, we, we could get uh, Scooby on the show because I know Scooby has been covering uh, Kyrie a lot the past a couple weeks. But, well, I deep down inside, I don't think Kyrie's hurt. I think Kyrie Irving knows this season, 2019-2020, regardless of the net success, was would, would be a wash. Because everybody's focused on 2020-2021 and 2021-2022 with him and KD. So, I, so I'm not saying Kyrie's purposely not playing, but I don't think he's hurt us. They're making it out to seem to be. And I think the more we lose, the more easier it'll be for him, for him to say, yeah, my shoulder starts, my shoulder starts, my shoulder starts. And now we're losing without him. Well, like we remember when, when you know, the, when the thing was, oh, uh, teams play better with when he's not there. Well, he's not there now. And it started off good, but now it's going really, really bad. So, I mean, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. But just deep down inside, I don't think Kyrie's really heard as he says he is or the team says he is. Like even Kenny uh, and Atkinson had like a slight doubt the other day and then uh, last night he had to address again what he said the other day so it won't shock me at all if uh, Kyrie's like listen let me save myself for the rest of the season or at least for now and then next season when Kevin's definitely back you know um, uh, uh, we go from there so um, well I mean listen seven in a row seven in a row hopefully we and it's soon, and because the East is as usually bad as it is, well, we still may end up as the fifth, sixth, or seventh seed, regardless of how many wins that we have. So, not necessarily a net rant, but more so of like a, this is what I think is uh, going on. So, hopefully, I'm wrong on the Kyrie fund. You know, maybe, maybe you're right in that sense, but if they keep on coming up with stuff here with with Brooklyn. I know basketball is the most talked about sport because it's the easiest to gather people and play and and all that stuff. And it's also the most talked about because of its uh, celebrity status as far as and its popularity in in today's culture. But, you know, you look at what's going on with Kyrie Irving and he is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt a top 10 player, maybe a top 15 player in the league before the year started. Right now. We go out, he signs the max deal, he says the right things, he wants to be here, everything like that. You know, the bottom line, like you said, Sean, maybe next year with uh, Kevin Durant coming back, maybe the Nets get get their top 15 draft choice, whatever it is, whatever the case may be. And they're still in the playoff hunt. They're still in the playoff hunt too, but it's just not, you're not going to rush back with a, a record under 500, make no mistake about it. If this guy's getting paid X amount of money and, you know, if his agent's telling him to stay out, you know, really it comes down to the agent and what the agent tells the player, I feel like, as opposed to what, what the, uh, what the team, what the team has to say about it. So, you know, the team might be having a little smoke screen, like you said, going out there and just saying, Hey, look, listen, he's hurt, but he's not, you know? So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And as far as like other basketball teams go, with like the Lakers and everything like that, Anthony Davis went down yesterday with the with a back injury. If you saw, he got hurt pretty bad. He had to get carted off. They say he's going to miss some time. Uh, this is what I said at the beginning of the year. 
you know, you better pray to God this guy doesn't get hurt because this kid will all turn turn really, really quick on the Lakers. Make no mistake about it. I know LeBron is is LeBron, but who are you going to have going in there now to plug in for Anthony Davis? That's very true. No, that's that's a good point. I didn't even uh, uh, think of that. Um, and and I mean, yeah, that was a nasty spot. He seems to have avoided a bigger uh, injury. Well, so I know for your uh, Lakers' sake, you know, um, they brought the next five thirty. Everybody knew they were going to do that, so he avoided a injury. But you know, well, it's one of those things where I think even if he's not there, they'll still continue to win. And you just want him help. Uh, you just want him healthy for April, May, and obviously June. And also, too, you heard the report out there speaking of Anthony Davis that he rejected a four year max worth about $168 million. This again, it comes back to what I said earlier on with this guy, you know, you throw everything out the window here for him and the season looks great and everything like that. And now this comes in and let's say if they do lose down the stretch now, which they probably won't, but is he going to come back? There's no guarantee of him staying here. You know, everybody's making it a short bet and a short-fired thing that he's going to stay here for the next five years and be the next face of the franchise. Far from it if he's, you know, if he's rejecting a, a four-year deal worth around $168 million. That's just a red flag right there for me. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, Sean, any final thoughts on basketball? No, we're pretty good on basketball. Hopefully my Nets going to get some wins and – uh. We'll take it uh, from there, man. But uh, no, nah, man, uh, I'm pretty much good. Hopefully, my Titans uh, get the W this uh, weekend, and uh, we'll see how it goes uh, from there. Well, any final thoughts in general? No, nah, just thank you to uh, you know once again. Obviously, you all are doing the great job that you do with the host and on on the show. To uh, Spencer and everyone over at uh, Godfrey, Matt, and Brianna, and Mike, and you know everybody else. Uh, miss you guys. Definitely got to try and uh, get to the uh, studio soon. And uh, now, well, uh, that's about it. You know, uh, you know uh, let me be the last to say again, uh, happy and prosperous uh, new year to everyone. And let's make 2020 the best one we've ever had. Well, yeah, absolutely. Let's make 2020 the best year we ever had here on the show as well. And, uh, you know, let's see what happens from here on out. You know, it's going to be awesome to say the very least. It's our, our first really set of episodes that we had here uh in 2020 so it's going to be fun and down down the stretch it's just the beginning and on that note uh for everybody here at gotham podcast studios uh for spencer our wonderful producer for sean thomas my wonderful co-host and i just want to wish you guys a happy new year as well i think that's probably gonna be the last time ever gonna be saying happy new year (laughs) you know but uh yeah, it's going to be fun. So I'm your host, Will Chirucci, logging out. We'll talk to you guys soon. Peace out.